Hello and welcome to End Goals, an LCMS Youth Ministry podcast. I'm host Reverend Mark Keeslane and I'm with ECE Juliana Schultz. We are here to bring parents, church workers, and lay leaders discussions and resources that help your youth ministry meet its end goal, which is young people who are disciples of Jesus Christ for life. Today, we talk about the significance of developing a congregational philosophy of youth ministry in your context. If you've been listening, you uh, heard us talk about some of these foundational considerations for youth ministry in the congregation. So these big picture philosophical things that we're thinking about when it comes to uh, the Holy Spirit's work in the formation of young Christians and uh, our philosophy of Christian education throughout uh, ministry for all ages. So now we're going to move beyond uh, those that Christian education philosophy uh, and move into uh, developing a philosophy specifically for youth ministry that brings clarity, direction, and guidance when considering teaching, service, and other youth ministry opportunities. Last episode with Dr. Reader, we discussed the developing of philosophy and that help brings a person or a congregation or organization to answer the question around the whys. Why do we exist? Why do we do what we do? Why do we have a desire to do these things? And it's important to do that as well, specifically for youth ministry. And in developing a philosophy of youth ministry, a congregation gets to see themselves as part of the larger Christian church through time and geography, but also gives opportunities for them to give thanks for their unique history and context. They get to go more deeply and understand their context and appreciate the place God has placed them and the young people they are privileged to serve. Pandemic uh, has surprisingly been a good time to evaluate, to assess, to refocus on what works best in your youth ministry context. So many people have had to pivot to change plans and to really think about what it is that's meeting the needs of the young people and where they're at. So if you're looking for a tool to help out with that, uh, Connected for Life, an essential guide for youth ministry is available from CPH. Uh, And this resource is where... uh, we partnered with uh, CPH and other writers to provide insight and resources to congregations as they minister to young people. So one of the early chapters, along with Dr. Readers, was discussing the important work and steps for congregations to consider the philosophy of youth ministry in their congregation. So to talk about developing that philosophy, we're introducing the first time to the podcast, Dr. Heath Lewis. Dr. Lewis serves at the Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota. In his role, as instructor of Christian education and DCE program director, Heath teaches courses in the Christian ministry major, uh, supervises DCE, director of Christian education, and director of Christian outreach internships. Prior to coming to Concordia University, Dr. Lewis served as a DCE in Oklahoma, where he oversaw parish education, youth ministry, communications, and more for nearly 10 years. Uh, Lewis holds a Bachelor's of Arts in behavioral science and a certification to be a DCE from Concordia University, Nebraska, and a master's of arts in organizational leadership from Gonzaga University. And just recently earned his doctorate of philosophy from Drake University. Uh, Dr. Lewis, welcome to End Goals Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here. Uh, we got to hear a little bit. That's a, a long list of, of uh Hi, Acclimates. We're so excited you're joining us. Uh, we got to hear a little bit about your professional vocation as a, a professor, but tell us about what you do at Concordia University and your other vocations, and maybe a little about what, what brings you joy. Yeah, so my primary role at Concordia is really helping prepare uh, future church workers of all different callings, uh, but most specifically, I work with our DCE and DCO students uh, for their current and future service in the church. Uh, We get to do that through classroom instruction, like you would think of at a university, but also uh, work outside the classroom through internships, practicum experiences, extracurriculars, and more. Uh, 
Uh, I get to teach on ministry topics like youth ministry, adult education, uh, teaching and learning theory and more, and also organizational leadership topics like strategic ministry and leadership development. Um, outside of Concordia, I'm a husband and my wife, Jessica, and I just celebrated our 12th anniversary. I love reading, writing, research, uh, running, listening to music, uh, basically anything that really helps me uh, make it through as an introvert, right? So that's uh, <laughs> that's just a little bit about me. Um, yeah, yeah, there, there you go. Well, you and I as introverts have thrived in <laughs> pandemic times, yes. It's, uh, yeah, we got to unite, which uh, is odd to say as an introvert. Yeah. Uh, well, as a first-time guest, we would love to hear a little about your journey to servant leadership in the church what was maybe a key moment from your youth where Jesus brought you closer to him and or the church? Yeah, that's a great question. So I grew up um, going to church. I was raised uh, attending worship, but I also kind of grew up thinking it was mostly something you did on the weekends. Mm. Uh, between my junior and senior years of high school, though, I had the opportunity to participate in a service trip to South Central Los Angeles, and I, I really jumped at it. Uh, mostly because I wanted to get out of my one stoplight town that was surrounded by cornfields in the heart of the Midwest, right? Um, and even though I, I went with uh, maybe a not great motive, the spirit was faithful and worked even through my selfishness. And I came back from that experience with really a transformed heart. Um, I really felt this calling to help others have experiences like the one I'd had. And I started having conversations with family and friends and pastors in my area about what full-time service as a professional church worker might look like. Um, I didn't know what that could be, but I knew for some reason I didn't want to be a pastor. Um, and mostly just because I didn't really understand the roles of, of church workers. And when I talked to my pastor, he was great. And he said, yeah, you, you would actually not be a, a great pastor. You'd be a great DCE. You should do that. And I said, well, that's great. But what is a DCE? <laughs> And I had never heard of a DCE. I grew up, like I said, in this really small town. And so um, so my pastor really was encouraging. And he introduced me to, to what a DCE is and, and the roles of a DCE. And I, uh, I kind of went into ministry training at Concordia, Nebraska, thinking, well, if this doesn't work. There's always other options. Um, and the next thing I knew, I was ready for internship. And God had been faithful through all of it, through the highs and the lows and everything else. And I've been now working full time in the church since 2006. If y'all told me that that was the story, uh, that was going to be the story when I was a sophomore in high school, I'd have really laughed at you pretty hard. Um, but again, like I said, he used an experience where I was selfish uh, to kind of transform my heart and, and do something incredible in my life and help me realize uh, faith is not just about the weekends and it's not just about what we do when we're in uh, a specific building. And that's been a lesson for the rest of my life. That's been great. We love to hear how the Holy Spirit gets a hold of young people through servant events or whatever it might be, opportunities and connecting with uh, with other adults and with also their peers and getting to serve. Um, like you said, turns the world upside down sometimes, but in a beautiful way. So that's fantastic. Thanks for sharing. And we're so grateful that you contributed to, to Connected for Life and you tackle in your chapter, what does the Bible say about youth ministry, which is such a great question. Uh, and you provide some spiritual reflection on the role and importance of youth ministry. Uh, I'm sure you get to expand on that question as you prepare church workers uh, as a part of your work now as a professor and uh, director of those programs. So for an encouragement for our listeners, what are some few foundational things you see about the biblical account and importance of ministry specifically? specifically for young people, but especially for high school students. Yeah, so there's this uh, this kind of crazy thing. It's this fun thing, I think, about the Bible. 
and what the Bible says about youth ministry. And that's really that uh, if we're honest, the Bible doesn't say much about youth ministry. Um, it doesn't mandate how you should structure and run a ministry for and with young people. It doesn't say how many family ministry events you should host or how many car wash washes you should run. Uh, it doesn't say what Sunday school curriculum to use, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And, and really that's okay. And it's actually good because every church is unique and every community has different needs. Um, so how we address those needs probably won't and shouldn't look the same in every congregation. Uh, so what the Bible does say uh, is, is it says a lot about God's care and concern for young people, right? The Bible's filled with stories and passages about that. Young people are part of all nations and the body of Christ. And we see Jesus in the Gospels receiving young children and saying anyone who won't receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. He's using, he's using kids and young people as an example for the rest uh, of, of the people. Uh, Psalm 71 talks about how from his youth, God taught the psalmist. And in Isaiah 40, 31, we're reminded that uh, even youths grow tired and weary and they're in need of renewal that can only come from God. Uh, in addition to all that, right, the pages of scripture are filled with stories of God using young people to fulfill his purposes. Paul says to Timothy, uh, you're, you're to be an example, even as a young man. Don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. Uh, Samuel, David, Jeremiah, Mary, they all play key parts in the biblical narrative. And even Jesus, uh, one of the few times we see Jesus uh, talked about as a young person in scripture, uh, He's in the temple. He's teaching the word, right? So while scripture doesn't say how you should build out your ministry and exactly how you should run it, and what you should do, it does say that young people matter to God and young people have a part in his work. Uh, and, and consequently, if young people matter to God and if young people have a part in the work of God in scripture, uh, they should matter to us and they should have a part in the ministry that we do uh, in our settings. Well, thank you for that wonderful reminder, certainly, as we uh, give thanks to God for the opportunity to serve, not just serve young people, but serve with them. And that we get to bring them into these opportunities to reach out to our communities, to be the body of Christ together, to be strengthened by uh, the faith being played out in their life as the Holy Spirit works in, in them. It's such a beautiful thing. And, and we want to move now maybe to that focus as you're talking about. So the Bible maybe doesn't give specifics, but yet there's really some good planning and conversation so that we can have in our context and focus on on uh, this development of a philosophy of youth ministry. No doubt with, I know your degrees in service at Concordia, you spend time considering these philosophies, whether it's in organizations or in churches and even maybe personal philosophies on what's important in life. So to start, can you talk us through your definition of philosophy and some of the key components in a ministry setting? Sure. So really at its core, a philosophy is, it's a system of thought, right? It's the, the ideas, the concepts, the attitudes and, and beliefs that a person or a group of people hold. And for us talking about ministry, that philosophy is really, it's the theory that guides and supports your activity. Um, I think what happens a lot of times is we don't always give thought to why we do what we do. We just kind of do stuff because um, it's what we think we should do, or it's it's what the youth ministry was like when we grew up. And so um, we take that stuff and we implement it thinking this will be good for our students and this will be the thing that we're familiar with or, or the thing that we think will work um, without really giving, again, consideration to why. Uh, so in this conversation, what we really want to say is that the philosophy is the belief about youths and youth ministry, right? What do we believe about young people and what do we believe about ministry for and with them? And those beliefs 
should influence our actions. Those thoughts and that theory should guide what we do rather than just doing stuff to do stuff sometimes like we do. So in the text, I outlined six pieces for folks to consider as they build out that youth ministry philosophy. Um, and you can dig more into this in the text, but we talk about purpose. Uh, why do we have a youth ministry? Why do we do what we do? Uh, we talk about values and what's most important to us as we work for and with young people. Uh, what's the strategy? So when we have all that, right, how do we accomplish that purpose and live out those values? Uh, we we want to give it definition. What is it that we provide exactly? What is it that we're doing for young people? Uh, when we say youth group or youth ministry, like what does that mean? Uh, what is the definition of that? And, and what is it that we're offering? Uh, involvement. So who's who's connected to that? Who do we get involved in that? Um, and we'll talk about that, I think, in a little bit. But is it is it just volunteers? Is it just young people? Is it just church workers? Uh, who gets involved and who gets a say in that process of, of what happens with youth ministry? And then the last one is measures. What should we see uh, when a young person is involved in our youth ministry, when they're involved in the life of the church? What is that? What, what's the outcome? What, what do we hope to see on the other end? Um, so in answering those questions, and I don't have strong answers for you because I'm not in your context, right? But in answering those questions, it'll help you better understand who you are as the gathered church in your time and space, right? Where you are in this moment in history. Uh, and the cool thing, Will Mancini talks about this in his book, Church Unique. Uh, there's never been and there will never be another church like yours because uh, you are in a unique time and place. You have a unique gathering of believers that have been called, gathered, enlightened, and sanctified by the Spirit. And so uh, there will never be another congregation like yours. And consequently, there will never be another ministry just like yours. So in answering those questions, you get to help figure out what is God up to in our midst right now? And how can we then best serve the young people in our midst today? I love the kind of process you go through um, in your chapter. Um, David Reeder did one for around Christian education, kind of some diagnostic questions to ask. And I think the word, like listen back to the podcast with Dr. Reeder and then reading your chapter two, a word that stuck out to me in both was intentionality. Um, and I, I love that word to be thinking about it from a ministry context and not just youth ministry, but all we do in the sense of even doing, you know, it might feel like we do the same thing every year. And yet God blesses that at times because the intentionality that you show care to that, and that is a way in which you show God's care to others in your context. And so I, I love that word. So it makes you ask those tough questions sometimes, the whys, uh, but then also it gives some clarity too to that intentionality. So I love uh, that word that you use. And I know Dr. Reeder used it as well. I want, I want to change a little bit here to a little bit that we, we're talking about, like kind of where does this play out? We're, we have some pastors and senior leaders and congregations that listen to the podcast. And these individuals might have some, I guess, maybe more influence to bring this conversation or to implement maybe a philosophy of ministry. But I want you to address a bit, some tips or insights that you might give to those who are not in those positions. These are amazing practitioners. They may be staff or volunteers working in ministries to youth or young people. Um, and they aren't in a position where they engage maybe with other ministries as much, or perhaps they're just starting out with relational connections and understanding the context in which they serve. Or perhaps they want to develop a philosophy of youth ministry, but also recognize that youth ministry might feel like it's a little bit separated from other areas of ministry that are maybe kind of driving that philosophy conversation in their congregation. Where would you advise these practitioners to kind of start with this? Yeah, so that's a conversation we could have for days, but I'll try and keep it short, right? Um, and the best advice I think I have for anybody, whether you are 
uh, a youth ministry practitioner or you are a staff member in a church is to always be curious. Um, be curious and start by asking a lot of questions. Um, I, I think that anything that we want to do starts with um, maybe asking why do we do what we do and, and is it the best way to do it? Is there a better way? Um, what do our people need? Right. There's all sorts of questions that you can ask in that space. Um, engage in conversation with others. It's not work you should be doing on your own. So it's really easy, especially if you're just getting started to feel alone or to feel disconnected. Um, and so that's where we want to start by asking questions and engaging with other people. There's so many key stakeholders in this, right? We are, again, a part of the body that's been called by the spirit. And so uh, congregation members, parents, the youth themselves, uh, community members, other staff members of the church, they all want to see our young people grow and stay connected to the church. So let's engage with conversation uh, with those folks, ask them what they think, ask them what ideas they have. I'd also encourage you to, uh, to not assume that you have to do what you're doing. And I know that's a, that's a tricky and maybe a touchy thing to say, but especially, like I said, there's not a biblical mandate for how you run a youth ministry. So um, there are certain things, right? We want, we want word and sacrament to be present in, in the ministry that we do. Uh, with all people. But beyond that, like I said, car washes, lock-ins, uh, and we could talk a lot about lock-ins. Uh, my students can tell you about that later um, and, and my thoughts on those. But there's not mandates uh, for or against any of this stuff, right? So don't assume that what you do uh, is what you have to do or that what you've always done is the way that best meets the needs of your students now. Right. Your way is often just one way to accomplish the goal. It's not the only way. So be open to new ideas uh, on the topic of assumption too, don't assume that everyone just gets it or has the same idea. Like I said, of youth ministry that you have, uh, we're all shaped by our histories, our belief, uh, our experiences, our relationships, stuff like that. So there, there may be differences of opinion. And that's why doing the work of building a philosophy in community matters so much. It helps get us all on the same page about where we're going and why we're headed there. Uh, and then the last thing is, if you're listening to this and you're not the pastor or the senior leader in the church, um, keep your pastor engaged in the process. Uh, at the end of the day, he he may delegate this to you and he may put a lot of trust in you on this, but he is also still called to be the primary shepherd for your congregation. And that includes your young people. Uh, he's often a person who works to keep the broader perspective and picture of the congregation. And so when you're feeling lost, like, I don't know how all this fits in and connects with everything else happening in the church. He's often a person who can help you connect those dots, mm -hmm. right? So make sure you're keeping him uh, in the loop and, uh, and as a part of that conversation. Um, but overall, like with all that stuff in mind, the best place to start is asking questions, having conversation, and then really taking the time to listen, right? Robert Greenleaf says that uh, the natural response of the true servant leader is to listen. So let's start there, right? Let's let's start by asking questions, engaging people, and listening to to what people have to say about it. So I I'm asking. So it's it's fascinating as we start to ask those questions, as we start to develop that philosophy. We are going to come across um, events or aspects of our ministry that do need to be changed or adjusted, uh, and that's never an easy process. Do you have any kind of suggestions as people start to align ministry more to the philosophy of youth ministry that they're developing, uh, how they start to navigate that change? Yeah. So um, again, I think that's where we're bringing more people into the process is helpful. Um, 
I, I tell my students all the time, I, you know, there's all sorts of jokes out there about how Lutherans hate change. And I will uh, maintain this until the day that I die, that people don't hate change, they hate ambiguity. Um, and, and the more you can engage people in conversation, the more you can get opinions from people and ideas from people, the more you can say, yeah, we're gonna shift some things in the way that we're working on this, um, but here's how that'll affect you, right? Here, here's, here's what that looks like. The more we can provide clarity, the less resistant people will be to change. I'm, I'm convinced of it. And so um, bringing more key stakeholders into the process again, uh, listening to those ideas um, and, and finding ways to, again, to really say, here's what we see the needs as, right? Um, every program is built on some level to address a need and those needs change, right? Those needs change. So, um, so being able to, like I said, just kind of to be able to say, here's what the needs are. And that's going to require you again, talking to the young people in your congregation and in your community to say, what, what are you struggling with? What questions do you have? Uh, where are the needs for your generation right now? Uh, how can we help serve those needs? Um, and then like put together a plan and we'll talk about this in just a second, but put together that plan uh, and share it with folks to, to reduce that ambiguity as you go about changes. Um, the last thing, I think we can take a lesson and, and this is maybe gonna get me in trouble here, I don't know. Uh, we can take a lesson from, from large companies, some of the world's most successful companies on this one. Uh, some of the most successful tech companies in the world don't make wholesale changes on their products every year. Uh, they use what we call incremental change, uh, incremental design changes. Um, and so I'll use Apple. I'm an Apple junkie. Uh, I'll use them as an example, right? They don't, they don't make a wholesale change every year on every product. But what you'll see is, is a small change, right? They might change the processor this year and the camera the next year and the body design the next year and the screen makeup the next year. Uh, now that's an oversimplification of it, but are there ways that we can implement that and utilize that um, in the congregation as well? So we're not making a big wholesale change to our programming, but we're saying, hey, we're going to tweak this just a little bit. We're going to just shift the focus of, of our Sunday night programming for youth just a little bit to make it um, rather than just being uh, a fun and games night, we're going to incorporate an element of prayer because we value prayer in our youth ministry. And, and we, want to, we want to take some time to talk with our students about that and train our students on that. It's not a big wholesale change. We're not saying we're doing away with Sunday night and only focusing on prayer. We're saying like let's let's make a little bit of a shift and see how that works and let's let's try that and let's test that and let's do something small uh, and over time we'll make some of those some of those changes that look bigger but we're just we're taking it one step at a time rather than making a big huge leap into that stuff uh, so that's that's kind of what I would say uh, in response to your question on that one Juliana as far as how you can get started making some of those changes bring people in the process uh, have have some good reasoning behind it to address needs. Uh, not just doing stuff to do stuff, but address real needs. And then uh, again, like I said, do, use, use some incremental design change there in the way that we the way that we program. That's incredibly helpful. I think that's one of those big fears. I, you hear this question all the time, right? Uh, the, we we fear change, and and again, I don't. Our data actually said that that's not entirely true. Like we had speculated that churches weren't changing their Christian ed and their program, and they weren't doing evaluations, um, and that's why we were seeing low retention rates. And in fact, uh, that was not the case, right? That most churches are doing some level of change and evaluation all of the time. Uh, but truly, looking at at what you put here and and other writers to be able to say, 
it's not just change for change sakes, but we're going to have a philosophy. We're going to have a way of thinking about those things that are deliberate in how we're making those change and not giving ambiguity, but rather giving some direction can be incredibly powerful in helping find the right changes and the right adjustments that meet the needs of, of young people right now. Uh, at the end of the chapter, you give two simple but really important pieces of advice. This advice is something that we could take into a lot of areas of life and ministry. What is the advice that you give? Not to give too yes. much away. <laughs> so at the end of the chapter, we talk about the idea of uh, two things, right? Write it down and, and then use it. Um, and that sounds so simple and it sounds so silly to actually put that in print, but uh, write it down and then use it. Uh, when it comes to writing it down, Will Mancini talks about the idea in his book, Church Unique, that um, we all kind of operate on what, what he calls the ministry treadmill. And, and there's always something else coming up. And it just feels like you're constantly going. And you might get through Sunday morning, and then you got Sunday night. And then when Sunday night finishes, and you've got to get ready for Wednesday night confirmation. And then when that's done, you got to prep for Sunday again. And, and it just feels like it's this never-ending cycle. So it becomes really easy to forget those conversations you had and what kind of came out of it. So the, the best advice there is to, to write it down, take good notes, uh, put it on paper. In his book, The Advantage, Patrick Lencioni argues that uh, every, every group or every organization should have a playbook. Um, and it can be a very simple one-page piece that answers some of those questions about your philosophy that we outlined earlier. Uh, that aids your memory, right? It helps you remember what you talked about, but it also provides that clarity for everybody else. It reduces ambiguity because everybody now can see it. Everybody can say, all right, we know where this is going. We're on the same page and then use it. Uh, too often people just do all that work and then we go right back to our old ways. We just jump right back into our old habits and old habits are hard to break. Uh, we get comfortable. We like what we've done. Uh, somebody somewhere along the line put that into practice and so they have a, a connection to it. But we do all this work and, and, and we jump right back into that. But once you know uh, what the philosophy is, it should really guide everything you do for planning and programming. That philosophy serves as the checkpoint for your activity, right? The things we plan should move us closer to the values and measures you've articulated. They should help you provide what you say you provide in that philosophy, but you only get there by using the product of your work. So this is really the foundation for the rest of what you do with youth. Write it down and put it into practice. Fantastic. Well, again, thanks for writing this great chapter on formulating your philosophy of youth ministry. It really gives us, if you get a chance to look at the book, an outline and some key considerations for such a time of prayer and discernment and conversation uh, for a congregational and their leadership. And we are certainly thankful for people in our church body and institutions that have earned degrees in organizational leadership and have thought hard and experienced much on this topic so that we can benefit from your knowledge. But as we wrap up, if listeners want additional resources for developing philosophies of ministry or specifically youth ministry, what other books or resources would you recommend? You mentioned a couple I know already. Yeah, so I mentioned two books specifically in this uh, in this podcast, but Patrick Lencioni's book, The Advantage, is a fantastic resource, uh, not written specifically for the church. It was written for, for organizations, but it's still very applicable to what we're talking about here. And then Will Mancini's book, Church Unique. Uh, really, again, describes how every church is unique. So you have to kind of figure this stuff out for who you are and how God has called you to be. Uh, the last piece there I would say is um, if we want to shepherd well uh, any group of people, we have to know who they are and we have to understand who they are. So I would say dig in hard on Gen Z and, and figure out who they are and what makes them tick. This is your middle school and high school cohort right now. Um, so two, re two recommendations there would be 
Uh, the Barna Group in 2018 put out a great report called Gen Z, the culture, beliefs, and motivation shaping the next generation. And I actually believe I saw something just uh, this week that maybe they've updated that for a 2021 version. Um, and then Meet Generation Z from James Emery White is another great text uh, that really talks about Generation Z uh, and, and their beliefs on a lot of different different pieces and how we can minister well to them. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Lewis. It's been a great pleasure and God's continued blessings on your service at Concordia St. Paul. Thanks for having me. It's great to visit with y'all. So we have talked a lot about philosophy in these last episodes, and we are thankful for many people like Heath who have thought hard about these topics and allow us to learn from his experiences. And I also appreciate Heath's advice about putting the philosophy into action. It's so easy to think a lot about these topics. We can almost suffer from, I don't know, paralysis by analysis. Working on a philosophy shouldn't overshadow actions like relationship building and showing love of Jesus to young people. And we don't want these actions to get lost in getting the philosophy perfect or big picture thinking. For God will use your efforts, even if everything does not go as planned and, in a, and it all doesn't exactly fit into the design framework maybe you set up. I think there are lots of lay leaders who feel like uh, designing some big picture philosophy of, of Christian education or of youth ministry is a little bit beyond them. And I hope that the last few conversations and the chapters in the book help them to say, like, it's not, it really isn't. And there is value in in doing the, the bigger picture thinking um, and coming up with those philosophies as a way to develop ministry. Um, so we hope that the, you feel empowered by this and not overwhelmed by it uh, because solid youth ministry philosophy is a tool and a playbook that helps us plan and keep priorities straight and provide entry points for more people to get involved in service and leadership. It helps uh, people to identify goals and values in your congregation for this time and this place. I love how Heath pointed out that your church is unique in that. And also your young people are unique as well. Uh, while we were all teenagers once, we were never teenagers right now at this moment. Uh, and they are facing unique sets of circumstances that might be true for their generation, but also for within your community. So helping them to get involved in this process is huge. It's a great way for you to help give them meaningful input into the overall development of youth ministry. And that helps youth ministry carry on beyond your time of service so that young people in your congregation can be served well and connected to Jesus for a lifetime. So a couple of closing questions for you to think about as you uh, consider uh, the development of philosophy of youth ministry. So does your congregation have a concise philosophy of youth ministry that provides outcomes, uh, ministry events, and activities? If so, how has that benefited you and where might you need to do some additional assessment? And if not, how might you plan to create with consistency and clarity around goals, objectives, and roles? Our question is, is your philosophy of youth ministry compatible with other ministries in your congregation? If so, how has that benefited intergenerational ministries or strengthened families? If not, how might a church-wide conversation help bring cohesion to your overall congregational ministry? And finally, who do you need to involve in helping craft their philosophy of youth ministry for your congregation? And if you have one, how are you communicating that clearly to others, uh, adult leaders and other senior leaders in your congregation, uh, so that they understand how what you're doing in ministry connects to your overall philosophy? 
We're going to continue to keep you in our prayers as you think about these big picture planning aspects of your youth ministry while you're trying to run your youth ministry, while you're trying to manage uh, a million other things. We know uh, that we are praying about these topics and thinking about these issues, and we hope it brings joy and clarity to your work in God's kingdom. And we hope this chapter and some of the key tips and concepts are able to help inform healthy youth ministry and your end goal of caring for disciples for life. Uh, We thank you for modeling that in your church and for your young people and other youth ministry practitioners. And I just want to take a moment to lift up another resource by Concordia Publishing House that we have an author on the line, and that is a new youth devotional from CPH, Words of Strength and Promise. Juliana Schultz, one of the authors for that, but also other guests of the podcast, mm-hmm. Heather Roosh, Dave Reeder, Trevor Sutton, Brendan Matcalf, we have coming up soon, and then also Reverend Keith Haney. So if you're looking for a devotional resource for young people going through these difficult times, but preparing for maybe graduations and other things, a wonderful opportunity to care and love for your young people. So thank you, Juliana, for contributing to that. You started that and I went like, who's who's on the line? <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, that's me. That's great. <laughs> MGO's podcast is a production of LCMS Youth Ministry and KFU Radio. To find out more about LCMS Youth Ministry or to find links to resources mentioned, go to kfu.org slash youth ministry. Thank you for listening and caring for the young people of our church. Mm-hmm.